Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today, Laura and I have a delightful conversation with the newly crowned Olympic champion, Flora Duffy. In this episode, Flora describes what it took to win gold in Tokyo, the journey to get there, her team, the good times and the bad, and of course, the race itself. This episode just had a little bit of everything, the emotional joy of winning gold, plus a heartache and the delusion that comes with professional sport. And there's also plenty of laughs in this one. And and I truly believe you'll leave, you'll leave this episode just becoming an even bigger fan of one of the all-time greats of the sport of triathlon. But a little bit of housekeeping before we go on. I firstly want to say thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. If you are enjoying the show, you'd be doing me a massive favor if you could just share on your social platforms and help get the word out there. And or you can support the show's partners, Athletic Greens, Hyperice, and Form Smart Swim Goggles, just all great companies with really fantastic products. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as Laura and I did. We truly had a wonderful conversation with Flora. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. A quick mention of the show's partners. These are all great companies and products that I use daily. If you want to support the show, you'd be doing me a massive favor by supporting these brands. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice. Hyperice is my go-to solution for recovery and restoration. The handheld percussion therapy devices, the Normatec boots, and the vibrating rollers all release your deepest muscle tension and just aid your recovery. I own the Hypervolt Plus, I own the Hypervolt Go, the Normatec boots, and the vibrating rollers. And both my wife, Laura, and I use them every day before and after workouts and before bed. They're all just so easy to use at home. They're, they're quiet, easy to charge, and have ready at any time. I encourage you to look after your body. Honestly, it's the only thing you get to keep for all of your life. All these Hyperize products are just simply brilliant. Get 10% off all Hyperice products using the exclusive Greg Bennett Show code GREG21 at checkout. Go to hyperice.com, that's hyperice.com, H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E.com and use code GREG21 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by my longtime partner, an amazing company and brilliant product, Athletic Greens. I'm using Athletic Greens every day. Great taste, so quick and ready to go. Athletic Greens is a delicious blend of 75 superfoods and vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and a greens blend and more to support gut health, energy, and immunity and stress. I've also been doubling down on Athletic Greens vitamin D, a huge portion of the population of vitamin D deficient, myself included. And right now, Athletic Greens will give you a year's supply of vitamin D for free and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Do yourself a favor and sign up. It makes a great gift for a family member or a friend. So sign up now and get a free year of supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. This episode is brought to you by Form. In my opinion, Form Smart Swim Goggles are the biggest thing to hit the swimming world. With Form Smart Swim Goggles, you can see all your key metrics while you're swimming, distance, your pace, stroke rate, and heart rate. The swim data is displayed on the goggle lens, and you can customize the display to see the key metrics that you want to see. I couldn't believe it when I first tried them. They fit like normal, comfortable goggles, and the display is there, but it's not in the way. I consciously look at the lens to see my stroke rate and my pace and my heart rate and distance. 
if you're a pool swimmer or an open water swimmer, I encourage you to check these goggles out. Please go to formswim.com forward slash Greg. Again, that is formswim.com forward slash Greg and get $15 off the Form Smart Swim goggles at checkout or use code Greg2021 at checkout. All right. If you've listened to this show, you would have heard me say in the introduction to each of the episodes, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. Well, today's guest is just the absolute epitome of that quote. She's been steadily improving her craft for two decades, building upon each day, month, year, just to reach the very top of the sport to become the Olympic champion. She's one of the most decorated triathletes in history, now with the Olympic gold in Tokyo, Japan. Commonwealth gold on the Gold Coast, Australia, and nine world titles, including two ITU triathlon world championships, two ITU cross world championships, and five Xterra triathlon world championships. Now, it hasn't been all smooth sailing and, and she's had some setbacks and had to rebuild numerous times, but she keeps coming back and rebuilding stronger. She's been a friend of ours for over 10 years and she's just one of the most down-to-earth champions you could ever spend time with. And this is Bermuda's first ever gold medalist. So welcome and thank you for joining us on The Greg Bennett Show. Flora Duffy, how are you? Hey, Greg. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, no, this has been, this is a real thrill. You know, I've wanted you on the show for, well, over a year, but to finally have you right after your Olympic gold, this is um, very special for both of us, isn't it, Laura? <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, and just huge congrats again. Um, just so happy for you. Um, just, it's been, it's been a whirlwind and, and we just, when you were here, um, before going to Tokyo, we saw you in numerous times at the pool. And every time I saw you, I just came home and I'd say to Laura, wow, you just, there was a confidence. There was a self-belief about you that I, I hadn't seen before. Is that how it felt to you? Um, you know, it, it kind of did, which, um, I don't know. Seems sort of surprising for me to say that, only because of it was a real up and down year leading into the games, and then of mm -hmm. course with the COVID year in 2020, and then I had you know multiple, well, one serious injury end of 2018 into 2019. So it had been this kind of weird, rocky few years. But mm -hmm. I don't know. Everything felt like it was clicking again in that final almost eight weeks leading into Tokyo, and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just felt really good. Like physically, I was feeling good. Training was going well. I was executing my sessions. I had two good friends training with me who you would, you would have seen at the pool, Chelsea Burns and Joanna Brown. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, they just kept it so light and fun and um, kept the environment. Just I just enjoyed it. Um, anytime I was getting tense, um, they were just there to sort of diffuse the situation and just um, – yeah, just, just make it really fun. And then I think for me on the mental side, that's something I really, really worked on. Started working with a sports psychologist. And um, I think although the five years was rather horrible to have an extra year, um, <laughs> having to manage being like a favorite for the Olympics for five years is quite something. But I think almost that extra year just gave me another year to keep working through all those emotions that come with being a favorite for the Olympics and just just being calm about that and yeah gaining confidence and just really embracing all that comes with it 
Mm. I've seen you over years just building your team and you mentioned your training partners there. Um, and, and yeah, we saw you at the pool, you guys were always laughing and, and, and there was this real joy about the process that you were doing and, and just the team that you had and that you'd built over the years, it really does come down to that. that this, you're not on your own, you're doing a, you're this journey together. Um, who else is on your team that you've been sort of working with? Yeah, I mean, certainly you might cross the line, you know, by yourself or you start the race by yourself, but I have a massive team um, behind me that what's been really nice is I have the freedom to work with whoever I want. And I mean that in terms of like in other ITU athletes, they're sort of can sometimes be a bit stuck working with whoever the federation wants them to work with, where I've had the privilege of picking and choosing exactly who I want to work with. And if they're on my team, it's because I think they're sort of the best in the world. And, um, so yeah, my main, co- I have a sort of like a little coaching team, um, which I've really enjoyed. And I would say the main head of that team would be Nate Wilson, um, catalyst coaching that he is would be my like head coach, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And then alongside him is, um, a running coach I've been working with for years in South Africa, Ernie Grun, cause I spend almost half of the year training in South Africa in Stellenbosch. And because you guys will know my husband, Dan, that is where he is from. And so, yeah, we spent a lot of time there. So that's great working with Ernie. And then I would say Dan is also sort of on the team of main team of three. And um, those two chat and communicate and sort of build out my training plan, training structure. Um, And I, I also sort of have a seat at that table to give my inputs of what I think I should or should not do. Um, and most of the time they listen, um, usually, usually I would say Nate is always right. If I'm like, ah, no, I think I need to do more. I need to do more. And he's like, nope, less is more Flora. Come on. We have to have confidence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yeah, so that's been really great. And then of course there's a few add-ons of people that I'm, you know, use for body work. Of course, you know, Marcos and then strength and conditioning. And, um, so yeah, it's been a really nice team. Of course, all my sponsors, but yeah, having Nate, Dan, and Ernie, the three of them working together as a team to build out my program has um, really been great. And and with that kind of allows me some flexibility to plug in with various different training partners, whether I'm in South Africa training or if I'm in Boulder training. I mean, you guys know in Boulder, there's so many triathletes. So it's kind of nice to pick, you know, pick and choose of what um, you know, groups I can join for swimming or get some ride, riding company or running company. Um, but yeah, definitely one of the best decisions that I made was have, um, you know, asking Joanna and Chelsea if they wanted to come train with me for the final seven weeks leading into Tokyo. And that was just like the final piece that I needed. And yeah, it was just so great. That's so great. You took full control. Yeah. That's, there's a real empowerment there too, where rather than trying to chase everybody else around the world and trying to find the best place, it's almost like you brought the team to you mm-hmm. and, and that's empowering. You know, you took full control, full hundred percent responsibility for your life. And, um, has, has it all settled down Have the celebration settled down? We're talking to you. What is it? Almost two weeks to the day. Um, since you won, uh, I know you're in quarantine in Montreal, but have, ha, has it settled down? Has it been pretty full on? What's that whole Olympic experience been like? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, it is about two weeks and um, maybe more. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's been a whirlwind, an absolute 
crazy whirlwind. I mean, in the best sense, but since I crossed that line and when I left Tokyo on Friday, late afternoon, um, so I crossed the line Tuesday at like 8.30 a.m. Tokyo, and then I left Friday evening. It was just like nonstop. I, no one prepared me for that portion of winning an Olympic medal. <laughs> um, I just, I, yeah, I just could not have imagined it would have gone so big. I mean, I guess there's the one part that it was Bermuda's first gold medal. So that made it, um, you know, even bigger than just like, you know, me winning an individual medal. Um, so yeah, it was a crazy whirlwind, lots of interviews, um, and everything, which was really cool. But, and of course you're dealing with the emotions of winning an Olympic medal. Mm. And so, yeah, it was wild. I must say when I flew back from Tokyo, I flew back into the U S like that 10, 11 hour flight was just so nice. I never really look forward to a long haul flight, but that was just so great to just <laughs> chill. I just like slept the entire time and didn't. Yeah, it was really nice. And then, um, yeah, just even when I got back to Boulder, just to have done quite a few interviews. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it, it's been great, but it's definitely hasn't sunk in yet, I think. So now I'm here in Montreal. And um, with entering Canada, we have to do a three-day quarantine, which um, it's kind of funny. You go from like Olympic gold to quarantining in your hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> I think that just sums up this like 2020 slash 2021 perfectly. (laughs) Here we are. But it's the the first time I've been able to slow down. Like I have nothing to do. I mean, okay, I have a few phone calls to do. It's nice I can do this podcast with you two. But I don't, I, I don't know. I can just sit in my hotel room, basically just lie on my bed all day. And I think that's kind of actually something I've really needed um, and it's, it, it is actually like slowly now starting to sink in that like, I want Olympic gold. Like, yeah. it's just kind of crazy. To think. Even just saying that to yourself must give you, yeah, you, gave you, like, you said that just then. That was so yeah. cool. Like I'll catch myself and I'm like, whoa, I did that. <laughs> yeah. It's just crazy. I visualized it and it's happened. Yeah, yeah. I know. That's so, it's so good. I mean, even in that respect, like having now kind of slowing down a little bit, I'm sure that high was so high. I mean, you've had so much success already in the sport and it's almost like the gold medal is kind of validating your whole career, you know, and it's kind of nice to have it kind of not necessarily towards the end of your career. You could go on for many years yet, but you have done so much and you've had the opportunity to win the gold. And so coming off of that and now having to race a few more races. I mean, it's weird. The The Olympics should be the end of the season, honestly. Isn't it the biggest race yeah. of the year? <laughs> the four years? Five years in some cases. So yeah, how do you how do you deal with that? How do you pull yourself back out um, from that high? Now you're calming, you know, so it's kind of not necessarily like you're going low, but just lower. And so, you know, how do you refocus? Yeah, it is definitely super weird that the Olympics – for me, it was my second race of the year. Um, <laughs> yeah, as you say, like it's the absolute pinnacle of the year and be the final thing you do and then you go on holiday and relax. Mm. But um, because I didn't, you know, like, okay, yes, you can plan and prepare and try to execute your best race on the day at the Olympics. But, you know, I could have 
I don't know, not finished on the podium, not that the day I wanted, um, which obviously would have been very difficult to deal with, but, you know, could have gotten through. So that's why I, I planned quite a lot of racing post-Olympics because I didn't know how it would go. Mm. And because I haven't raced that much because of 2020, there was like three chances to race. Um, and then because of my injury issues in 18 and 19, the last three, four years for me, have been pretty light in terms of racing. Mm. And so for me, I was quite keen to still race. Um, but I will definitely say the difference that my, in my body, and I think that's a combination of obviously the physical effort of racing in Tokyo and just the emotional buildup, the high, you know, I poured like every ounce of me into that race and the preparation and then you achieve it and your body, it's amazing how it can just like, it just flicks like a switch to just complete exhaustion mm-hmm. you know, of just dealing with everything that came along with preparing, executing and the aftermath of winning a gold medal. So last week I tried to get back into some training and oh my God, <laughs> it felt horrendous. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You, you know, you're like, wait, I was running 15 seconds per kilometer faster two weeks ago. And now I'm just like struggling along. Wow. Um, but yeah, I think it's just my body just just coming back down um, and just, yeah, just dealing with all of that emotion and everything that goes into the preparation of going into Olympics to try or to win a medal. So there's that one part of it. And then the other part, I just feel this like incredible lightness about me now, because like you said, like winning the Olympics has been my lifelong dream. And yes, I won a couple world titles along the way, but that to me felt like the greatest achievement I can possibly do in my career. Like my goal, like I know a lot of people are crazy about Kona, but like, that's not my thing. Like if I go to Kona sometime and do well, that's cool. But it will never, never mean as much to me as like an Olympic gold medal. So in that sense, it's kind of freeing that I can now go to these major races and just not feel that immense pressure and expectation. Because for me, it's like I get to race from a different, I don't know, part of myself now. And I don't know, that's quite freeing and liberating. And um, it doesn't mean I'm going to race with any less intensity or aggression, but it just means that it's like icing on the cake. It's like, I don't know, it's it's kind of a really special place to race from, I think. It is so well said. I think it's, um, <clears throat> and I think greatness comes from that freedom too. It's it's funny, so many of the guests I've had on on this show, you know, many great athletes and things, and and we talk about this emotional pressure and and things that we put on ourselves, and and then they'll say, yeah, but I I, I went to this race and I was free to do what I want because I had this injury or I had no expectation or I, whatever, and I just was able to unleash everything, and it was an amazing performance that I got to have because I was free. It was the exact word that I've heard many times throughout the show. When when you race with freedom, it's actually can be quite empowering in itself and so that's almost a scary thought going ahead but I agree with you I think um to win an Olympic gold um yeah I mean you can go to Kona and you know win a few of those or whatever but it's it's um still very you've got that in your back pocket and it's with you for for keeps 
you know, yeah. that's really special. I mean, Olympic distance triathlon has been your, your whole career, right? And so I think that's where that's, that's the pinnacle of our sport and to have met that amongst many successes along the way, it just, I have to be so fulfilling for you. Right. And so that's pretty, it's a neat place to be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Yeah. So what, what I know we've sort of just been sort of general chit chat, but what I want to do in this, in this, um, podcast episode today is I want to start with the race, um, if we can, because it's just so fun to hear a champion talk about what they went through. And then, um, I'd like to rewind the clock and just get a better understanding of how Flora Duffy got to where she is. Um, cause it's quite a great story in itself. Um, so how about we do this? If it's okay with you, we start by looking at the Tokyo Olympics. Um, first and foremost, I've got to let you know that I had a little bit of a flutter on you for the race. Um, I don't usually <laughs> bet, but I found out they gave you six to one odds for the gold. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, and after talking to you at the pool, I came home and said, Laura, I'm putting $20 on floor right now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when you when you and Dan get back to bold, or I'll, I'll shout you guys dinner with the 120 I made. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so there you go. I want to start the start the show with that. Um, but no, um, let, let's talk about the race. Um, and even let's one step before yeah. that. Yeah. What were, what was it like? What, because this is so unusual where you're kind of in a little cocoon when you go to the Olympics this time around, what were the travel days leading in the, the, the thoughts you had going the final prep for the games? I mean, most people have training camps somewhere they're with a big group or even at location, you know, and really just relaxed and, you know, even getting ready for the opening ceremonies, things like that. But what, what was it like this time around? Yes. This games was completely different from um, let's say like Rio or London because, I mean, obviously, yeah, you had the COVID restrictions. You were only allowed, I think, really to enter the village five days before your event, and you had to leave two days after. And within that, there was many, many different protocols and restrictions. I think the scariest thing was you had to have um, – you did a spit COVID test every day. And <laughs> oh the scariest part was, like, you could have a false – a positive or false positive and be out. Like that was it. You could be feeling totally fine, but your COVID test came back positive, even if you're fully vaccinated and boom, that's it. Olympics done. So like every test I did, I was like, oh my gosh, please be be all right. Um, What an added nervous. (laughs) I know, right? Added. That's not nice. Yeah. So the, the one, like one of the, I think the best things that, um, we did and what I was allowed to do. So I stayed in a hotel. So I stayed outside of the village and a hotel that is right next to the triathlon venue. And so I'm very grateful that my Olympic association allowed me to do that. And, um, again, they were like really behind me and backed me. So it gave me a, a lot of support, probably the most support I've ever had going into a games, um, which was super helpful. And, um, so yeah, we stayed at a hotel which was great. So Dan came with me. We flew in super late, um, which again was strange because I could see everybody from social media. You can see like all your competitors are there Mm. and and either in Tokyo or at like a holding camp somewhere outside of Tokyo. And you're like, wow, I'm still here in Boulder uh, training and everyone is there in Tokyo, like getting ready to race. So that definitely felt 
um, kind of strange. But yeah, so I got there on the Friday evening and we raced the Tuesday morning. And I mostly did that because one, I don't like spending a lot of time at races before the race. And two, the training was really difficult. Um, so I didn't want to spend a lot of time there wasting so much energy driving 45 minutes or an hour to the pool to swim, to drive 45 minutes back. The running was very restricted. Um, everything was very restricted. So it just, yeah, you weren't just allowed to just go operate on your own. It was very much, um, yeah, very much everything had to be booked and planned and yeah, it definitely added another element um, to the whole experience, mm. but being at the hotel with Dan and I was lucky to take, uh, I took, Lord, took a physio with, I guess he's not really a physio chiropractor. Oh gosh. Like a mix of everything. Um, yeah. Lawrence Van Leeken with me, which was also great. So I could have treatment once I arrived, make sure any travel kinks were, um, you know, straightened out in my body. So, um, yeah, I felt really prepared and, um, yeah, really pretty confident. Just had to really just stay as calm as I could, which, um, yeah, I guess is not that easy. I will say like the, the men race the day before us and I could see the swim course from my hotel room. And so I, you know, watched the swim from my hotel room and saw the crazy, strange start. Mm. But, um, the full start they yeah. had. Oh, okay, wait, where'd half the field go? That looks really like a really small triathlon. And then, <laughs> and then I realized, oh, it was a full start. Half of them were still on the pontoon. But <laughs> I know that was the most nervous I felt the entire time. Mm. I was like, whoa, this is me tomorrow. And I remember just like sitting in my hotel room, like almost like shaking. And I just, just like really calmed myself down. Um, and just like chatted with a few friends and then kind of as the race went on watching the men, it just like, I, you know, settled down. But it did, that was like definitely a moment I was like, whoa, it's here. Like tomorrow is the day that like I've been preparing for these last five years. Um, it, it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, with Laura and I, when we used to race and and 90% of the time, it seemed the, the women would go first and I'd have to go second and always have to, to watch. I'm like, damn it. Ah! And I used to love it when I got to go first, you know, and not be the one having to sort of watch watch the race because there is this nervous anxiety. But then race morning, I mean, suddenly the rains and the winds uh, and they're delaying the start. Mm-hmm. Did that then amplify is that sort of nervous energy, the excitement? Or what were your thoughts going when that happened? Yeah, race morning. We I woke up at 3 a.m. because it's 6.30 a.m. start, and I like to eat three hours before. So I was I woke up at 3 a.m. We could just see like the rain lashing down onto the window. Could see the trees. We could tell it was super windy. The streets were soaked, and I was like, whoa. This is completely opposite of what we are expecting. <laughs> um, so, okay, here we go. But it's fine. I've raced in the rain a lot. So just kind of, you know, carried on through my normal routine. And then what the one thing I did realize would be super different is that instead of trying to stay cool before the race, I would be trying to stay warm. Wow. So luckily, I'd pack some rain jackets and um, – we, we then sort of completely changed my whole race warm up and what I would do um, because we realized that um, I needed to stay warm mm. and not, 
and not get cold. So I, um, yeah, get to the race venue. I do my usual bike warm up, which I did down there at the venue. And I was planning on doing it in my hotel room in the AC just to reduce the sweating and my core temperature rising. But because the conditions were so cool, it was fine. I did it at the race venue. Um, and then got in and did my usual swim warm up. And it was crazy how like, you know, I was just mentally being like, okay, you're not cold, stay warm, stay warm. I was like so excited to dive into the 28 sea water just to be like somewhere warm. <laughs> and then did my swim warm up and then actually changed out of what I warmed up in into a dry race suit. Because again, I knew if I stayed in something wet, I would just get too cold, which is really wild to think about given that we raced in Tokyo in the summer and just how quickly the conditions changed. Wow. It was amazing, wasn't it? I mean, I when, we, when I looked up the weather a couple of days before, I almost put another $20 on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see oh, the yeah. rain. I started, it said 60% chance of rain and then it was, like you know, I thought, oh, this is, uh, if there's one person that we know in our sport is probably one of the greatest technical Riders. Riders we've Over ever seen. Lines. Yeah. <laughs> oh my I, gosh, so many white lines. Yeah. So many, so many white yeah. lines. Uh, and I was I was nervous for Katie Zafiris. I'm not gonna lie. And I've spoken to Katie since, yeah. you know, not on the yeah. show, but and uh, and I thought her her ride, a little she shout out to Katie. Right. I thought that was great for her. Do you think the same? I mean oh, yeah. a little bit here, but I just uh Katie's ride to stay upright on the very technical bike with white lines, I thought was very impressive. Oh yeah, I agree too. I would say like when I came out of the water and onto the bike and then the first few corners and I saw how Katie took them, I was like, okay, Katie's on a good day. Wow. Brought her a hundred percent a game. And that was really cool to see if you, well, one, no, she crashed at the test event. Her, her, um, you know, your technical skills, um, have been like a bit hot and cold, you know, some days she's really on, some days not. And then of course, if you know her build up to the games with, mm -hmm. um, you know, her dad passing away, the difficult team selection, all the, you know, adversity and everything that goes along with that. So like to see her have executed a good swim and then was nailing the bike. I was like, okay, she's got it today. Fantastic. Uh, it was awesome. cool. Yeah. Lining up, right? Yeah. They're lining up. A quick mini break to remind you of the show's incredible partners. You can get 10% off all Hyperice products using the exclusive Greg Bennett Show discount code GREG21 at checkout. Go to hyperice.com and use code GREG21. A quick reminder to do yourself a favor and sign up to Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens also makes a great gift for any family member or friend. So sign up now and get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. If you want to see all your key metrics like pace, distance, stroke rate, and heart rate while you swim, you need the Form Smart Swim Goggles. Go to formswim.com forward slash Greg. That's formswim.com forward slash Greg and get $15 off or you can use code GREG2021 at checkout. Let's take one step back then. The, the, the swim, um, 
you know, you, like you said earlier, you'd done one race before the Olympics and that was Leeds. Um, it was a wetsuit swim, but you did miss that first little yeah. group. What was your mindset then with that swim in Tokyo? Was it kind of like, I must be there if I want to win gold? Was it, what was your kind of mindset? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like, I knew the swim was make it or break it in Tokyo. Mm. And after Leeds, uh, where I kind of, yeah, I didn't have a great great tip. It was weird. I was top 10 out of the water, but it wasn't a good swim. That just like shows how much the swim blew apart. Mm. And so, yeah, after Leeds, I definitely was like, my swim in Tokyo needs to be 100%. So I put a lot of focus into my swim training between Leeds and Tokyo. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it it really paid off. Um, But I was very, very nervous for that swim. And when I got to that first, first or second buoy and saw that I was in like the top six, I was like, okay. Thank goodness. That's like check one. Now we have to stay here, (laughs) (laughs) which is not, you know, much easier said than done. Mm. Um, But yeah, just reminding back a little bit. So we, you know, at the Olympics, they do this like very confusing and intense pontoon draw. It's so unnecessary, but like, you know, the top 10 pick blind and then everyone else based on their ranking goes up and gets to pick their spot two days before the race. Um, which I don't makes your pontoon selection just I don't know yeah, much we, more intense. Yeah. But um, so just before I went over to the women's briefing, I was in the athletes' lounge. This is two days before, and all the Norwegians were the Norwegian guys were in the um, athlete lounge. They just done a swim familiarization, and they were starting to like kind of tease me and, and give me a hard time because I was nearly I was like the last one to like go over to the briefing. They're you know whatever They're like don't miss it, Flora or whatever. And then as I walked by them, Christian was like, "Hey, Flora." Spot 15, best spot on the pontoon. And I was like, okay. I guess he picked that and measured. It was like one of the shortest lines. Okay, cool. And then sure enough, I went up to pick. And because of my ranking, the furthest right was definitely the best spot to start. And pretty much the furthest right position for me to pick was spot 15. So I just picked 15. Get out, both yeah. of you. And we both started on champions stand it started 15, on fifteen. Yeah. And oh, that's one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Does Christian know that you picked fifteen? Did you guys talk about it after? I don't know if I've told him. I told I saw his coach and I told his coach that I saw yeah, him. yeah. But I think it's a few other people have picked up on it and they've like put it out on the internet. Oh, that I'm glad I just heard it from you though, because that's even more special. That's fantastic. That's really cool. And then when I saw him one, I was like, hmm, spot 15 could be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot more that went into his yeah. gold medal. Do we, do we even have to race everybody? Yeah. Because 15 is the winning number. <laughs> I've got it. Let's just shut it down. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I love that story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then the swim. You how, know. Yeah. yeah. How to swim. I felt great in the swim. Like for me, one of the big things I had to work out, work on between Leeds and Tokyo was my takeout speed. Cause that first like 200, 250 meters is just so fast. I mean, Jessica Learmonth is a motor in the water. It's unbelievable. So I just knew she would take it out hot. Um, and so I needed to be there. So yeah, I got out great. And, um, then just, you know, sort of tried to settle in as best I could, um, pretty quickly worked out that I was on the feet of Georgia Taylor Brown and that she was on the feet of summer 
Rappaport. And I was like, okay, well, I know those two are very good swimmers, so they won't lose the feet. Cause that's like the worst. If you're in, yeah. you're, I was like spot five or six. And I was like, if the person in front of me loses the feet, I'm going to be livid. I might just beat him up on my way by. I kept looking and I was like, I know this is Georgia. She won't, she'll hang on there. And um, yeah, sure enough, she did. And so then we came out between lap one and lap two. And um, yeah, I happened to just be looking up and I could see Jess running out and then pretty quickly worked out that it was then Victoria, Katie, like Summer, Georgia, me. And I was like, okay, this is great. Yeah. Just, yeah, get through this last last lap, 500 meters. And then, um, yeah, onto the bike. Um, yeah. And so I, the bike, yeah, the bike. The bike. The bike was intense. It was did you crazy. know that you had a 30-second gap out of the water or were you getting information? Yeah, so I pretty quickly got information. Um, there was two coaches areas on the course. So that was also different. Usually the coaches can be anywhere on the course. But because of, I guess, COVID protocols, coaches, you could either have a coach on the bike course or on the run course. So luckily I had Dan and Lawrence. So Lawrence was in the bike area and then Dan in the run area. And so when I went by Lawrence and there was a few British coaches in there and they have their nice boards of like Mm -hmm. uh, everyone written out. (laughs) Of course, the British. The the contenders. So you can realize where everyone is. Yeah. But for me, the the one split I wanted, it was just to wear was Nicola. I didn't really care for anybody else. Mm-hmm. One, you know, once I saw, okay, Katie's with me, George is with me, Jess is with me. The only other person I'm particularly worried about is, um, or could should be concerned about is Nicola because she's the only one that has really the firepower to bridge up. And obviously, she's a great runner. Um, she's won whatever many medals at the Olympics. You know, she's always a no, it's big, big contender. <laughs> I was going to ask you who 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 were you worried about in that second pack? Yeah, um, no, just Nicola. Once, yeah. once, so I got a I got a split that Nicola was seventy seconds back, and I thought, whew, game on. This is. I was very surprised it was that much, but then I thought, okay, and and I saw who I was with: Katie, Jess, Georgia, mm-hmm. and the three of us. Well, four of us, me included. Like we just automatically get on the bikes and just know it's time to work. We don't need to ask each other to pull turns. It just happens. Like we're always very committed from the start. So I thought, okay, these, this is like the best four to be with. And so we pretty quickly got into a nice rhythm. And then I knew Nicola was 70 back in the main chase group. And then I knew Taylor Nib was 20 seconds back behind Nicola's group. And so with those two isolated – I knew it was going to be very hard for the gap to come down. Now, if Nicola and Taylor were together, that's some pretty serious um, firepower. But because they were both in their own groups, I just knew that it was going to be even harder for this 70 seconds to come down. Um, Someone pointed pointed out to me um, that they thought that even if Taylor Nib was with Nicola, being that there were, to begin with, two Americans in the front group with you. I wonder if she was at all instructed to maybe not help, you know, knowing the the runners that were in that second pack. Um, did you ever hear anything about that? No, I never heard anything about that. Um, I know in the men's race, there was a little bit of, of tactics with the Americans, Yeah, but I didn't know about that in the American, American women. 
I don't even know. I just somebody Instagram me or something. I was like, oh, yeah, that's logical. It's, it's a, Could have been. It's definitely logical. Um, yeah, it's possible. Taylor's a really great biker, so if she would have ridden everyone back up into contention, yeah, she wouldn't have been super great. Yeah, but but then hang on, let's move on to the run because. Honestly, and I said it on the show last week, we had Mark Jenkins on uh, and Laura and I, and we just, we dissected all the races. And anyway, <laughs> we decided that your performance was probably one of the greatest, and I don't, this is going to embarrass you a little bit, but I think it's one of the greatest performances we've ever seen. And the swim, you were right there. The bike, you could have done whatever you wanted. It was, you decided to be, it looked like you decided to be patient, mm-hmm. do enough work, but not be silly. Mm-hmm. And then you drop a 33-minute 10K, 52 seconds faster than the second place, um, almost two minutes faster than Nicola, um, not not to discredit Nicola because she did do a lot of the bike on her own. But that run, just <laughs> absolutely Brilliant. incredible. And, you know, let's start from the beginning. Did you decide to run flat out from the beginning and, and open a gap or did it just happen? It, it's yeah it was kind of a bit of both I mean obviously I've raced you know all the women that I was with in the front group many times so I know a lot of their strengths and weaknesses and I knew my running was there I had really good run form and so I also knew that it was even though it was rainy it was still very humid and I also knew as soon as these clouds broke out, if they did break out and the sun peeked through, it, the temperature was going to like go through, like really uh, get hot. But I was very confident in the way I could race in the heat. And um, I felt good. And I kind of have learned that if, against certain competitors that were in that front group, if I established an early lead, that I was more likely to hold it than them coming back on me. So that's just kind of what I did. And I mean, obviously you're not running with a watch. You'd have no idea what your pace you're running. I just kind of went by feel, just tried to settle into a pretty comfortable pace and um, just, yeah, focus on grabbing water at every aid station, focus on any form cues that I have um, just to help like, um, I don't know, let your mind sort of drift away a little bit from exactly what you're doing, but still stay connected, if that makes sense. Like not think, oh my God, I'm leading the Olympic Games right now. Like think about, you know, grabbing water, staying hydrated, Mm -hmm. run cues, keeping my form. Um, But one thing that kind of makes me laugh is, I don't know where Dan got this from, but like two or three days before the race, he's like, I think you can run 33-10, Flora. And I was like, you are out of your mind, Dan. No way. And then I run by him the first time on the coach's zone. And by this time I'm I'm leading. And Dan shouts, 3310, Flora, you've got this. And in my mind, I'm like, the other coaches must have been like, what is this guy shouting? Like You're embarrassing yourself, Dan. You're embarrassing yourself. Yeah. Leave it <laughs> She's leading the Olympics and he's gonna make, you know, like, I don't know, like not force her or like suggest she can just go run 3310 and win the Olympics, you know, like if one wasn't enough. Um, <laughs> you you better do this run split, otherwise you're yeah. not, not yeah. coming home. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, on the commentary, and this might have been off, um, they said that you went through the first lap of four in 734. 
Now, if that's the case, that's right on three-minute K pace or for Americans listening, it's about 450 mile pace. Do you think – that sounds a bit. Did it feel like? I mean, you said you didn't get your paces, but had you had had your training been such that three minute Ks was potentially doable in that first couple of K? I'm going to have to look at the splits because they, they have them. I, I, oh, they have. I find that hard to believe. Yeah, Pop, yeah. maybe. I I wouldn't think so. I would say more like three ten pace. Yeah, I I, I would have thought that's, that. That's definitely believable with what the training that I was doing. Um, mm. Obviously, it's always hard because I was training at altitude and I do a lot that's of my right. training on gravel roads. So, you know, you're you're obviously you're running slower than what you're capable of at sea level. But yeah, I mean, you kind of mentioned it that like on the bike, I rode within myself, like I did what was needed, but I didn't need to overextend myself. And I think that was one of the first times I rode with like a massive confidence in my run. Mm -hmm. And I was very tactically astute versus just like getting on the front and really hammering. And so anyway, that did set me up nicely to, to run a good 10 K. Um, but I, I definitely didn't, did not know that I could, you know, win by, um, I think about a minute or produce a 10 K like that. Um, it was definitely pretty cool. And yeah, I felt great. And I've put a lot, a lot of work into my running, um, obviously the training side of it, but also just like my biomechanics and everything I've done do in the gym. Um, and I think it's really helped transform my running and, yeah, I mean, it definitely was a pretty cool way to um, finish off an Olympic Games triathlon. <laughs> I mean, that's why that, my my next question was kind of on that, like the the run, because you know we've watched you for since well, two thousand fifteen years. We've been you know mm-hmm. watching you, and yeah. um, you've always been a good all around triathlete. I, I I would say that you never had any major weaknesses, but I never saw you as the weapon runner and you've developed into be the weapon runner. Do you know what I mean? It's like you always had the weapon on the bike for sure. And then the swim came and now it's almost like the third piece of the puzzle came in this last sort of five, six years. Was there anything, you know, I mean, you said biomechanics was a big thing, but were there any specific run workouts for speed or endurance that you were doing that changed? Or, I mean, I want to learn. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't think there is any like one silver bullet. I think it was yeah. years of culminating combination of just really good work, just um, being pretty solid. Nothing, nothing crazy, nothing flashy or impressive. Just good hard work. And I think in 2020, the fact that there was no racing, I was just in one place. I mean, I was stuck in South Africa, and I just trained, and I didn't have injuries. I just trained, and I think that one year, that year. Given, of course, you have many years, um, so your base is great. I mean, you know, once you've been doing this for so many years that, you you know, that just having a year of where I did nothing but trained and just could put layer upon layer of really good Mm. um, run workouts together, um, I think really did help my running come on. Yeah. But I think it's like I said in the introduction, it's like you really have been, if I was to sum up you, it is that ability to just keep on turning up. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. And, and it's, you know, we've seen other athletes that burst onto the scene with loads and loads of talent and they, they, they do, they go on, they have some great, but I mean, you know, when, when we look at you and I look back at your resume in 2006, you came second in the, the world junior champs. And then there's a bit 
spotty, you know, mm-hmm. for, for many years there. And I want to touch on that a bit later on the show, but, you know, I think that ability to just keep turning up. Um, and I think, uh, I think Alistair Brownlee said it on his show. He said, you know, I, I asked him sort of, what's the one thing that you'd advise people? He said, just stay consistent, just keep turning up, um, keep doing the work. So that's, that's really impressive. I want to go back to the race though, because when did you feel like you had it? I mean, you opened that gap pretty quick. Um, did you know George uh, on that? Did you know Georgia Ta- Taylor Brown had had a puncture towards the end of the bike? Um, yeah, no, I had no idea. I didn't know yeah. she had a puncture. Um, so it's only pretty early on in the first lap of the run, you hit a U-turn. And so I had some visuals. I could see Katie. Mm-hmm. And then I could see Georgia much further back than I expected. And I thought, oh, that's kind of strange. Um, but then, you know, the next lap, second and third, I could see her making up ground on Katie and really coming through. So I, I had really kind of no idea. It was only after the race that she told me she had a puncture with 1.5, 2K to go. Um, yeah, it wasn't much. It was a yeah. real puncture too. So she was still able to somewhat ride it. Yes. Like, yeah. So if there's any, I know getting a puncture is pretty horrible, but it was probably one of the better times to get a puncture. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. Let's go to the next question. Next part to that. So when did you feel like, you know, okay, well, I've got this. Did, yeah. you, did you allow yourself to have that moment or was it not at all? <laughs> I kind of knew at about 5k through. Um, I was getting pretty, like some pretty good splits. And then, you know, when you run through transition, there's always like that big screen of, you know, they're showing the race mm-hmm. and then get to, the timings always come up on that. And I'd run all the way through transition and I was about to go past the screen and no one had come through to click mm-hmm. like second. And I was like, okay, wow, this is a pretty big gap. And so I kind of knew about 5k, but I was like, anything can happen in a second 5k of a 10k at the end of triathlon. So do not allow your thoughts to go there, Flora. Think about anything else. That's why I kept just thinking about how many more aid stations do I have left? What running cues? Um, Just kind of anything that kept me engaged with what I was doing, but not allow me to think that, oh my gosh, I might be winning the Olympics here. So I only let myself think about it with about 800 meters to go or maybe a kilometer. Dan was at the coaching zone. And so that's like the first time I like let out a smile. And then sort of just as those the last 800 meters or so went by, just like gradually allowed my, my mind to go there that like, yes, I was winning the Olympics. And then of wow. course going down like the blue carpet finishing shoot. Um, yeah. It was going through your mind. I honestly can't really remember. It was just, <laughs> I think just yeah, I don't adrenaline. Know. <laughs> just so many emotions. I look through the back of the pictures on my face, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you couldn't have held it together a little more, Flora. Um, <laughs> you know, just had like a nice smile. It's like you know, smile but cry, and just a sheer like, I don't know, like disbelief that this moment was happening. Um, but yeah, it was a very very emotional moment. I thought I thought it was raw emotion. I thought that was the mm-hmm. best way to finish. You know, it was what was interesting on this show. I've had the the privilege of talking to you know most of the Olympic champions in our sport, and there's been some funny ones where they, you know I think Jan Fredino said, "Yeah, I crossed the line and I I fell down because that's what I thought you were meant to do." And he's like, "But I still had energy, so I had to jump back up." And he's like, he's like "And then Simon Whitfield sort of backed him up and said, yeah, you know, you cross the line and you think, and now it's a performance, right? Now you're kind of like." I've done my job, but now how do I act? Now what do I do? Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> it's kind of weird because you're like, I don't know, you're like showing all this emotion in public and there's like tons of cameras on you and everything and everyone's staring at you and you're like, ah, what do I do? <laughs> I'm an uh, introvert. Don't look at me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> too much attention, too much attention. Yeah. <laughs> let me out, let me out. Yeah. And, and so that, that uh, when you cross that line, I mean, you obviously, you kind of, you showed real joy when you saw Katie coming yeah. in for third and holding onto the medal. Are you guys close? I mean, that, that was kind of added to the whole Olympic spirit, I thought. Yeah, that's a really special photo. Uh, you can see Katie running down the chute and I'm like jumping for joy. Um, yeah, we are genuinely friends um, outside of the sport. And um, uh, yeah, I was extremely happy for her. Given the last, I mean, I mean, you can even think about it from like crashing at the Tokyo test event, you know, missing getting her Olympic qualification, having that looming over you and 2020. And then of course her, her dad suddenly passing away. And I know how close Katie mm-hmm. is with her family and the selection to make the U S team, you know, just everything and how she just like, you know, and Leeds in Yokohama did not go well for her, but to collect herself and to execute that race in the way she did in those conditions, which are not, I guess, you know, Katie's preferred environment to race in was just, yeah, really incredible to see. And I was so happy for her. Um, yeah, she's a, a great friend, a great competitor. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really cool to stand on the podium with her and Georgia, both yeah. of which are friends. And I said, it was like, you know, it's, it's really great to win a medal at the Olympics, but if you can stand by the side of like two women that you really respect and have a friendship with, like it makes that moment just even better. It, it really was the perfect podium. I, you know, with your 16 and 17 world titles with mm-hmm. Katie, you know, her world title in, um, in 19, it was just, and then obviously Georgia Tanner Brown and her world title. It's kind yeah. of like we had, it was the perfect mix. It really was. It wasn't, I just thought it was everyone there. And I know we shouldn't say this, but I felt like deserved a medal. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They felt their little destiny of that time. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. But we too often see in the Olympics that, you know, you see the favorites get taken out or whatever. And you're like, yeah. oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like the underdog, st- underdog stories too, but it was not, it was a nice podium. Um, I thought it was really well, well deserved. So. So what was the, what's been the reaction in Bermuda? Are they asking you to be president or is it just more? (laughs) Yeah. The reaction in Bermuda has been crazy. It's been, um, yeah, I could not have expected it to have been so wild. Um, but it's been really cool. I think everyone is so proud that, you know, Bermuda won an Olympic medal. Um, and I think, you know, everyone has followed my story since I was like, I don't know, 10, 11 years old and doing every single race I possibly could in Bermuda and then just kind of following my career through the ups and the downs and um, not racing, getting back into racing. And uh, yeah, it was wild. So I was in the mix zone right after I finished doing these interviews and my brother Joel Cole FaceTimed Dan. So Dan came over to me with the video uh, going and um, my brother's in a local bar he had a few drinks with a bunch of his friends and my parents and they just started singing and chanting and cheering and just going crazy. And that was like one of the first moments I knew I was like, Whoa, this is pretty big. Um, yeah. and it was pretty cool to see. And then I, then I got like quite a few other videos of people around the Island of like, 
you know, what they were doing, what they were thinking, like the, you know, the chills or uh, whatever experiencing as I crossed the line. Um, so yeah, it's been pretty cool. That is, I love that. I, cause I, and you painted a really good picture there. It was a really good visual. You can just yeah. see everybody partying in the pub and uh, that, that's just mm-hmm. magical. Um, what, what I want to do, I know we've taken a lot of your time, but I, you know, going through that whole race has just given Laura and I goosebumps and we're, we're smiling ear to ear. But I think for, I'd like to rewind the clock just a little bit, just so, you know, you touched on it there. You know, when did you actually find your passion for the sport of triathlon? You know, how old were you and what was it like growing up in Bermuda trying to find races? (laughs) Yeah, I I started doing triathlon when I was like seven or eight years old. Um, (laughs) I was like in a swim club and I ran at school, primary school, and I knew how to ride a bike. So my parents were like, well, do you want to do a triathlon? So I was like, okay, cool. So I went and did it and I won my age group. Um, And this kid's triathlon still goes on today and like, I don't know, 500 plus kids turn up and they do it. And it's really incredible. So anyway, I won my age group and loved it and joined a local triathlon club, which, you know, probably people think it's kind of strange that Pumita has a kids triathlon club. But for whatever reason, um, you know, triathlon is quite a popular sport in Bermuda. I mean, I guess it's to do with our climate, our beautiful water. Um, You can do it all year round. So... Yeah, I joined the triathlon club and had friends and just, I don't know, loved to do triathlon alongside, like I did swimming. I did a bit of swimming for Bermuda. So I did every like running race I possibly could do in Bermuda. And there's actually quite a few to do. Like they hold a lot of local running races throughout the year, whether it's road races or cross country. Um, And then lots of swim meets, some bike racing. Um, So yeah, it can keep you pretty busy, pretty active. Um, but every year, my triathlon club, we would go abroad to do a race in the U.S., which is like a big thing for us. So we would go to the Chicago Triathlon. I think at the yeah. time it was the Mrs. T's Chicago Triathlon. And so, yeah, the whole club, we would go over there and have our little matching kits on and go take part in the the kids' triathlon, which is so cool because, one, we got to do a triathlon that wasn't really big, and then, two – we could like go explore the city and like go to all the places that like aren't in Bermuda. Um, <laughs> like, I don't even know, like just like silly restaurants or whatever. Um, yeah. You know, he's like Bermuda kids out in the big wide world, yeah. um, which was really cool. And then I, I would say one of the more defining moments was when I left and went to boarding school when I was about 17. And that was a moment I was like, I want to pursue triathlon. So I need to, you know, get, I guess, out a bit more into the world and have a bit more focused training and just expose myself to, yeah, bigger competition and everything. So I went to boarding school in the UK and kind of from there, things started to take off. Mm, that's fantastic. I, I, we both got to race in, did you race in Bermuda, Laura? I, I raced there in the World Cup in 96. Yep. In 97. I'm aging myself right now. Um, and it was one of the great events. Um, and I know it's back on the World Triathlon Series now. Um, and we can talk about that later with your epic race you had there in 2018. But, man, I loved it. I, and we had we all had homestays with different families. And my, my homestay was the Bennetts, funny enough. I don't know if you know the Bennetts of Bermuda, but they were absolutely <laughs> lovely and they really looked after me and I both years I went back it was just such a special place and 
And the Bermudians just adopted us all. It was a really mm-hmm. unique event for that. We weren't staying in hotels. Every athlete was put up and it was just um, very, very special. Do you remember, did you watch those races? You would have been I 10. I did. Yeah, I was 10. <laughs> it was, but you know what? That was also like a massive moment for me because it was like the first time I saw a professional triathlon yeah. and that you could do this for a, a living for a job. Yeah. So it was a pretty big moment. Yeah, for me as a 10-year-old. And then it's like, I feel like it's come so full circle because now there's a world triathlon event again in Bermuda and I'm mm-hmm. competing in it as like one of the top athletes. Yeah. So it's kind of special. But, it's very special. Um, it's fantastic. But yeah, I think, you know, in Bermuda, we don't, we don't host a lot of massive sporting events. So when there is one, the people really get behind it and really love to come out and support the event. Well, you've had the America's Cup now mm-hmm. and now the Triathlon World Series races. There's not really anything else, is there? <laughs> not in my opinion. <laughs> well, I think the Olympics will be there next after your, uh, your Olympic <laughs> title. <laughs> so, okay then. So you, you kind of started to go at 17, I want to do this. When did you sort of realize, okay, I, I really can do this. I have some strengths and ability. Was there a particular race or that it, did it happen over time? Um, I think, yeah, 2006 was a pretty, pretty big moment for me in, I was 18 and I qualified for the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne and I had never done anything at that level before. I kind of just qualified and like off I went, which sounds so funny to me now because obviously like when I go to a big event, like the, all the preparation, I know who my competitors are, their strengths and weaknesses. I just turned up <laughs> and raced. And of I'm course, sure. I'm in a race with like Emma Snowsill or Emma Fernino. We'll go with Snowsill. Emma Snowsill, like Julie Dibbins, um, Leanne DeCave. Um, yeah. Get whatever. So many big names because Commonwealth yeah. Triathlon is very competitive. I end up in the front pack and I'm just like, oh my gosh. What am I doing here? And I'm sure all the other women were like, who is this small girl from Bermuda in our front group? Like, where did she come from? And um, anyway, I managed to finish eighth, which was a massive result for me at the time, but still a result I'm very proud of. So that was kind of the first moment I was like, huh, maybe I can do something in this sport. And then later that year, I was second at Junior Worlds. And so again, and then I raced a few World Cups and had a few top tens. And so that that was kind of like, huh, okay, maybe I can do this. It was a, uh, just quickly, I've got the results up in front of me because I'm a bit of a geek. But uh, for that Commonwealth Games, you mentioned a couple of those names. And you didn't mention that you actually beat Leander Cave and Julie Dibbins. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, who, and, and in fact, Leander Cave was the world champion of what year did Leander win? Can you guys remember what year she won world? Championships. Yeah, it was, wasn't it uh, Cancun? Was Can- it Cancun? Yes, it was. It was Cancun, but that was late 90s, wasn't it? No, there's also one in 2004, I think, in Cancun or 2005. Yeah. Anyway, somebody can let yeah. us know. But she was, <laughs> Our memories yeah, gone. she was a world champ, recent, let's call it a recent world champion. Um, you know, some of the names, Andrea Hewitt was third in that race. And Andrea Hewitt's only just, just is she retired? I'm not sure. Anyway. Yeah, she just retired last year or so. It's just an incredible field of athletes. Liz yeah. Blatchford and the Luxford, yep. Debbie Penner. These are all Samantha Warner and, of course, Emma Snowsoe, who was just untouchable for a couple of years yep. there. Yep. Um, yeah, so that was your, okay, I can do this. All right, then. 
the next few years? What was that like? Oof, then it all went like horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm here. No, I'm not. Yeah. No, nope, not quite. Okay. I would okay. say it's when you're 18, 19, and you suddenly burst onto the scene and you are quite good. It can be really great or it can be not so great. And I think for me, it was like way too much, way too soon. Um, you know, I hadn't like finished growing up and suddenly it was like, training full time, racing around the world. But like, you know, I still wanted to like hang out with friends and go to parties and I don't know, just figure out what I wanted to, I mean, obviously I knew I wanted to do triathlon, but like, you know, I think it was just too much too soon for me. I needed to, as I said, just grow up and develop a little bit more. And I didn't have the maturity for it at the time. And then I started having a few health issues and just everything, Yeah, it was a pretty messy part of my life. And in between all of that, I'd qualified for the Beijing Olympics. And um, so I went, even though I probably in hindsight shouldn't have, and I DNF'd. And it's probably like one of my worst days in triathlon Mm. or maybe one of my best because it really made me just like, no, okay, I need to step back and just completely remove myself from the sport because I'm not in a good place right now. And um, so kind of that's exactly what I did. But I will say Emma won that race and I can remember her performance so vividly and be like, wow, now that is how you do a triathlon. Um, And like, of course, I mean, I think everyone was like a fan of of Emma Snowsill. I mean, I still am. Luckily, I can call her a friend now. Um, But like, that's also a big memory that sticks out from that day of like watching her performance and then like me also like dealing with like the worst day of my because yeah. <laughs> yeah. you didn't race in 20, 2009 right you t- you really stepped away yeah, i didn't Did race or? again until 2010 mm. 2010 the first race back it was um the des moines world cup and i don't know if you remember well you know you guys i think my lord you guys would have done really well maybe in that race anyway it had like two hundred fifty thousand dollars prize purse laura won it in 07 um, okay 2010 yeah. i'd I don't know how we ended up in 10, but yeah. yeah. So I went back in 10 and of course everybody was there because it was this gigantic prize first. I was like, oh my gosh, it's like my first race back in two years. And like, it's world champs. It was basically, yeah. Um, but anyway, it went okay. And kind of from there, just sort of built back, but I was still studying and I don't know, like it just took me a while to like, I don't know, almost filter my life down to be able to just do triathlon, train, recover, eat and repeat. Um, and I think that kind of naturally shows in my performances of how it's like, it was just a gradual build of me maturing and wanting to do this and really focusing on the sport um, versus like, you know, balancing being in school and training and going to parties and hanging out with friends and, you know, whatever else you do at that age. But I think if I look back, it was so important because now I've gotten all that like partying out of my system and everything. And now I'm like, cool, I can just do this training and recovering and sleeping. And um, exactly. And you don't feel you don't feel like you've given up anything. No, right? exactly. That little period of your life. And it's basically what you should have taken. And you got a degree in that period of time mm-hmm. as well. And so it's not like you were just sitting around doing nothing, you know, but you got to kind of almost quote unquote, be a kid when you can be, when you should be a kid, you know, 
as opposed to being like 40 and you've, you've given your, probably not that old, but like 30 and you've given up your whole life for sport or even some 16 year olds, you know, these little swimmers and things, mm-hmm. you know, they feel like they've given up their whole life from childhood to, to have success in a sport. And so it's kind of, triathlon's kind of nice like that because it is one that's building forever, you know, like long endurance sport. And so you have time to get an education, to enjoy friends and, and, and experiences and still come out. And you're proving that, you know, at 33, 34, you can peak and have, you know, some of your best racing ever. And so that's kind of, it's nice. You know, I think you did an article a couple of years back talking about how you were like, oh, I'm just going to go to school and do this other Mm -hmm. stuff. And, and I thought that is fantastic that she's stepped back, like reevaluating her life. And then when you come back, you fully commit to what you want to be doing. And that shows on the scoreboard. I mean, exactly. it, it really was amazing mm-hmm. to, if we step forward, I mean, gee whiz, it was really almost looking at, gosh, I've got it all written down here, but basically that 2013, 2014, you know, to some degree 2012 a little bit, but mm-hmm. that, um, there was a real turning point there. Did you feel that, that you really pulled the trigger and it was like, oh, maybe, maybe I can become the best in the world at this? Yeah. I mean, I, I graduated, I finally finished up my studies in 2013 and well, it depends if you ask my parents what changed then they'll say Flora met Dan. <laughs> what? Dan's in the background there, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that was a turning point. Cause I was like, right, well, I finished school. I've had my time to like, as you say, like be a kid and figure this out. Like, okay, this is what I want to do. Okay. How am I going to make this work? How am I going to earn a living here? And, um, it definitely wasn't an overnight thing. That's for sure. It took me a few years, but yeah, that was like the first gradual steps of like, okay, this is my full-time job now. Um, what does it take? And I think, you know, Dan was definitely a massive influence. Um, I think, you know, I got to train with him and he knew the lifestyle and understood it. And I think, you know, if you obviously you two know that very well, (laughs) if you can do it with someone that you really enjoy spending your time with, like your favorite people, it just, I don't know, makes the journey that much more special and easier. And, um, yeah, like we've kind of built, built up to this almost like together, which has been pretty cool. Mm. And you had, I mean, winning your first sort of Xterra World Championship in 2014. Um, was that sort of one of your first big wins that kind of was like, wow, that was pretty cool? Or, or were you still waiting for that sort of WTS World Triathlon Series win? Um, um, no, at the time, that was definitely because I, I pretty much was just racing Xterra that year. I did a little bit of ITU, but mostly Xterra. And so, yeah, I can remember when I won that first world title thinking, whoa, I have made it. I want a, I'm a world champion. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. It's, it's so funny to think back to that because, like, nothing really changed. I didn't get, like, suddenly all this sponsorship or anything. But for me, on a personal level, like, I had always dreamed of being a world champion and I'd done that. And, of course, it was very cool that, you know, Dan was there at the time. He He raced – um, I think he was fourth that year. That was like the only downside. Um, <laughs> but, <On Dan. laughs> um, but yeah, that was definitely like a big moment for me. I think going through Xterra, having success there really helped my confidence mm. in triathlon. And I kind of tried to carry that over a little bit into WTS where it's like, you know, Xterra, you're out there on your own. Like, you, you know, there's no like 
packs and drafting and, you know, this and that, like you just, you just got to get it done and face the elements. And so I think I sort of took that a bit into my WTS racing. And that was sort of like the start of me really trying to push the swim and the bike and get to breakaways going and not being, uh, I don't know, not racing in a defensive manner, but more in an aggressive manner. Um, and yeah, that just kind of slowly built over the years. You really changed the, the, the sport during that time. It was, you know, we saw Alistair Brownlee do it with the guys, but it was like when you came over to the WTS and really pulled the trigger and said, right, I'm going to do this, you actually changed racing. And that's has to feel pretty empowering that mm-hmm. when everybody that you're up against is like, oh, Flora's on the on the course. That means we're running, we're going flat out from the moment we dive <laughs> to the moment we finish. There's no tactics; it's flat out all day. I mean, surely that that must be fairly an empowering feeling. Did you ever feel that way? I mean, I looked at it and just go, yeah. Every time Flora turns up, we know we're getting a, a triathlete is going to win. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thanks. I think, I think when you're in the moment and when you're, you know, maybe that person, you don't quite realize it. Um, for me, I guess at that time period, I was always like, well, well, damn, I can do this from the bike, but then like, I can't finish it off with a run. Like, you know, I'd always have to run defensively or like a bit scared. Um, and so, you know, in, in one sense, yes, I was like incredibly proud and thought it was very cool that like, um, you know, the racing had changed. And I think it does go in ebbs and flows of who who the sort of um, instigators of, of the sport are at the time. And I think it was an interesting time when you had like kind of me coming up and a few others that were really pushing the swim bike. And then you also had Gwen Jorgensen, who was the mm. phenomenal runner. So it was a really interesting time period of where you had kind of like a few different tactics going on and a few different strengths kind of uh, merging it was a fun time to watch. I mean, all the, I, I'm a huge fan. I'm a, I'm a groupie of all of you. But I, I, it was a fun time to watch because in 2015 you had a couple of podiums and, and mm-hmm. fourths and fifths and um, grand final Chicago was a little bit little bit off because mm-hmm. I think you were close to being on the, the World Series podium that year. But the magic of 2016, um, you know, it was a, quite a year for you to win the World Championships uh, win the cross world championships, win the world uh, Xterra championships, win your first WTS race. Um, you know, it's just a, an incredible year, and win the grand final uh, in the WTS. That year, do you pinch yourself and go, "That was sort of a really, you know, th- there's moments in your career, I'm sure, where you kind of go, "Okay, I'm here now." Did that was that a year like that? Yeah, 2016 was pretty crazy. And I think because I I don't know, no one expected me to do that, like even, not even myself. I can remember like also in 2016 was the Olympics. So it was like one massive year. Yeah, it was. But um, no one really expected me to do that. And so for me, I can remember um, the series started off well for me. And then at some point I got into number one in the world in like April, right after like the Cape Town WTS. And I just thought, oh my gosh, like I'm number one in the world. At the time you got to wear like gold numbers. I was like, this is just so cool. Like, I just want to hope I can hold on to this for one race. And so then I went into Leeds and um, nearly won in Leeds. So there's some weird British triathlon tactics going on in that race, but that's another story. 
Uh, is there another it, story? I want to hear that story. It, Hang on. Yeah, you can't but, leave us hanging on that. I hope it's 2016. <laughs> like, I think all my my years start to blur. Yeah. Well, but, 16 in Leeds, you were second. Yeah, that's yes, right. I was second. Yeah, Gwen. Gosh, Gwen pulled out this phenomenal run that year. Yeah, but I was off the front with Jessica Lermont and um, Lucy Hall. Mm. And for whatever reason, they were instructed not to work with me, even though we were at a breakthrough with a massive gap. They weren't allowed to work with me. Oh. So basically, I had to ride solo with them behind me. Oh. Uh, and then anyway, Gwen won. I was second. She caught me on the run. And then I can't remember who was third, but it wasn't a Brit. Vicky Holland was third. Oh, it was, oh, it was Vicky, Vicky third. Okay, yeah, no, was Vicky was. The Brits went third and fourth, yeah. Okay. Jodie Simpson was Okay, so they, yeah, anyway. But but because I was second, I retained the series lead. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. And then the next race was Stockholm. And then that was my first WTS win. And I was like, oh, my, like, first of all, I was like, oh, my God, I won a WTS. And second of all, I'm still in the lead of the series. <laughs> this is unreal. <laughs> and then fast forward, we go into the grand final, and it's like this showdown between Gwen and I. There's something like five points between us. Basically, whoever crosses the line first is going to win the series. And I was like, oh, my gosh, how did I get myself into this predicament? When's just <laughs> the Olympics? <laughs> now we're facing off for the grand final. But I don't know. I guess there's just like this inner racer in me. And I was like, well, I'm here. I'm going to go for it. And just, yeah, probably that's probably one of my like races I'm most proud of, um, given the circumstances. Um, it was also a very hot and humid climate, which I think definitely played to my my advantage. And um, yeah, I was off the front in a small break with Jessica Lermont and Lucy Hall, which cracked me up because a few months earlier in Leeds, it was us three. Thankfully, they were allowed to work this time. And um, but yeah, just got it done. And then I can remember going onto the run being like, all right, get through 5K, Flora, then we'll reassess where Gwen is. She's likely to come by you and you've just got to try and hold on. And then I get through 5K and I still have the same gap. And I'm like, okay. This is interesting. And then, yeah, get through the second 5K and I end up winning the grand final and win the series. And wow. yeah. head moment. World champion. You actually outsplint, outsplit Gwen and take nothing from her. She'd had won the, you know, the Olympic gold. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and like you talked about earlier in the show. <laughs> Another example. <laughs> yeah, so I, can, I can now fully understand yep. how, yes, it all makes sense to me now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but then, I mean, pa- after that, I mean, you kept your foot on the accelerator. 2017, apart from Ashley Gentle ruining the, the perfect season. Yeah, we were in Montreal, actually. Yeah, Yokohama, Leeds, Hamburg, Edmonton, Stockholm, the grand final in Rotterdam, and you had that one second in Montreal. Do you just look at your career and go, it's a waste of time because of that second? <laughs> Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. The 2017 was, was definitely a crazy year. And I'm, I'm, that was a year, um, because I'd won the world title in 16. Like I felt a lot more of the pressure and expectation of being, you know, one of the favorites and the ex- expectation on me to try and back up that world title. So that was also like an interesting turning point for me. You clearly didn't handle it well. But I'm <laughs> Um, okay, you could check that box too. Handling <laughs> the pressure, which probably led you to to today. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh my god, that experience. Okay. 
Go I know. On. It, it really um, it really is quite phenomenal. I mean, do you sometimes just have to pinch yourself and look at um, look back at this last, well, let's call it eight years. I mean, you've been in it for 15 years, but like you said, you took a little bit of time away. But this last eight years, I mean, just. That's even a long time to be world champion and then come around oh. to be Olympic champion. Well, Frank Most- Shorter was just on the show. And I don't yeah. know if you know Frank Shorter. Well, you probably do, Flora, because you're in, in yep. Baldy. But basically the godfather of running the US. And, and he said on the show that he believes every athlete gets five years. Yeah. You get five years to prove yourself. And there are, there are people on the, on the edge of that that get a lot more. And you're definitely one of those because you've been on top now for eight years. Um, do we include COVID year? Is that like a... Why, well, yeah, maybe that was a year off. Yeah, you had a year off. Hang on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-oh, maybe only have one more year. <laughs> no, no, you've already surpassed the five-year window. That's what I'm saying. Okay, you, yeah. You, you've done incredible, um, you know, just absolutely remarkable. It's yeah. I, And I, Laura and I love it because I really do see you as one of those people that have just kept on improving and kept on getting a little better every single year. You know, but... Did you ever feel like we've talked a lot about sort of giving it away and, and some of the tougher times? Have there been any of those times in the last eight years that you felt like, oh, I don't want to keep doing this? Or, you know, has it been a struggle at all in this late last eight years? Oof, yeah. Um, I think definitely, yeah, a lot of ups and downs. And um, I guess, you know, if I can look back at the last eight years, I mean, of course, there's been a lot of great success, but I can also look back and be like, wow, I messed so much stuff up. Like, um, and I think that can, I don't know, it almost keeps you, you humble because it's like you can be on top of the world at one moment and then the next thing you know, you're like, geez, I can't walk. Like, uh, is my f- like foot injury ever going to get better? Um, and so I've definitely had to like ride that roller coaster. But in 2018, I came into the season pretty pretty hot, I guess you'd say, pretty good success. And then the next thing I know, I really hurt my foot um, to the point, you know, like 2018 was the first time I allowed myself to believe, you know, I think, I think I can medal at the Olympics. And then the next week I was like, had this serious foot injury and was like unsure when I would be able to get back into training. Um, And definitely that hit some of my lowest lows. Um, I was out racing for about... 15 months and um yeah it was pretty hard of course i'd yeah i would had just won we just won com games com games and then Bermuda wire to wire are you the only other uh, that's a question i have for you sorry to interrupt you but are you the only person to ever win a race wire to wire in the sport of triathlon and have the fastest swim bike and run you did that in Bermuda yeah, in 2018. Yeah, Bermuda, yeah. Um, I don't think anybody's ever done. Yeah. Like I've, I, I've won a race wire to wire, okay? I'm just going to pat myself on the back. <laughs> and say, I've I can honestly say I did not win the swim. <laughs> and, but you, that race, Bermuda, 2018, after the Commonwealth Games win, um, was it just you were so fit? I mean, that's amazing. And then you pull up lame with that injury. Mm-hmm. In months, what a yeah. roller coaster! Oh, it's yeah. brutal. Yeah, yeah, it was a huge. Yeah, it was definitely some of my lowest lows that I've I've hit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I somehow yeah got through that. I mean, I have a great team around me that helped me get through that and build back slowly. Um, but yeah, it was definitely 
I questioned a lot of like, will I ever get back there? And I think the interesting part was like, I signed a lot of new sponsors that year. And that also added, I guess, you know, when you're super injured and you've just signed new sponsors and I had really great contracts. It was just like, oh my goodness. I just felt like, I don't know, things were never going to turn right again. That's the worst, isn't it? When you're in that, you actually think you'll never be able to figure out how to run again. Yeah. Like it's like this mindset. And then you start to, once you, the, the feeling when you start to be able to run again, and you go, oh, I do remember how to do it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that moment? Was there a moment where you're like, oh, I think that moment came for me almost in a, in a race when I went to the Tokyo test event in 2019, which was my first race back from yeah. this big injury. And I was like, it was more like, can I still race? And I was like, you know, like went into that so not confident and just um, did not know what to expect. I was like, I could literally be last in this race. Um, Because I I hadn't been able to run that much, but I was healthy enough to go race and I needed to race because I needed points. Um, So anyway, but I always say you've just got to race the race. So By the way, you, you won that race. I will. <laughs> I unofficially won. I was crossed the line third. I, but it's because, you know, like true. I raced the race. I just put all that uncertainty behind me, got on that start line. And I was like, Flora, I mean, you've done this enough in your life. Like you can do this. And I just, yeah, dug deep, took advantage of where I could. And then um, I got lucky because the race got shortened to a 5K. If we had to do that second 5K, I don't know what would have happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. Something tells me you would have had the grit to hang in there. And for people that don't know, we kind of just glimpsed over that. Uh, Jessica Learmonth and, and Georgia Taylor-Brown um, decided to hold hands <laughs> and, and cross the line because they're very close friends and I don't know, there's a sportsmanship there, but the rules state that um, you can't do that in our sport. And, and look, one side of me loves the idea that you've got to sprint to the finish and the other side of me loves the sportsmanship too. But so anyway, that was a side story. So you did, you came third and, and ended up winning the race there. But um, Flora, this has just been absolutely fantastic. But before we go, I have a couple of big questions for you. Um, and uh, just so we can all leave with a bit of a tip. Uh, so what's one tip you have for people on just how to optimize their lives or even their performances in triathlon? You can be specific if you want. Ooh. Um, okay, well, I think one big lesson I learned this year was um, optimizing your environment that's around you. Um, And I think back to how I had Chelsea and Joe join me for those last eight weeks and how it, it just diffused or removed any pressure or it just made everything fun and relaxed. And so that would be my big tip of just surrounding yourself with good, positive people. Um, I think that's important in life and in particular in sport with it, comes training partners or coaching or whatever. Well, I love that. Optimizing the environment around you. I think I'm going to use that. You mind if I steal it? I'll quote, <laughs> <laughs> I'll quote you the first couple yeah, of times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if you could sit and have coffee with any living person, who would it be and why? Who would it be? Um, you know who pops to the top of my mind right now, maybe because it's just off the back of the Olympics, but I'm not a fan of her anyway, but probably be Alison Felix. Mm, nice. I like that. I just started following her on Instagram. I'm kind of late to the whole Instagram thing. <laughs> I've been so impressed with her as well. Yeah. What a great, a great one. Absolutely. Fantastic role model across the board. I like that. 
All right. Well, Flo, this has been great. What, what's next for you then? You're in okay. Montreal. Um, what's yeah. coming up? I'm here in Montreal and we have the final two races of the 2021 WT, WTCS series. Uh, Montreal this weekend and it's a super sprint format. So on Friday is a qualifying heat. Oh. Saturday is the final and Saturday is three super sprints and 10 people get eliminated every Oh, brilliant. I love that. Yeah, so it should be quite oh. fast, dynamic, totally different from a sprint in Olympic distance. Oh, finally. I've been pushing that for years. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Back uh, to the Formula One days. Yeah. 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 And I've yeah. never raced that format, so I'm a little nervous. No, it's all oh, it's about so having strong across the board yeah. and, and it's yeah. fun and it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. amazing how quick that 10 minutes goes between races. Yeah. And then you're so bummed that you made it through to the final race. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I'm so tired. Yeah. Yeah. So there's uh, that. And then the following weekend is the grand final in Edmonton. And that's a standard Olympic distance. Great. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So that's a big back-to-back. Now, I also saw this past week that Ironman said that the Olympic champions are welcome to come and do the Kona Ironman World Championships. What yes. do you think? Um, that's correct. I did get that email, um, invitation <laughs> and I was like, well, this, there's some crazy things that have happened since I've won gold, but this, I was like, okay. Um, I did get invited. I'm going to decline that invite though. Uh, yeah. It's too Fair much. Enough. And you want to enjoy your gold, honestly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Please do. Yes. Please enjoy exactly. it. For the, for all of us that strive to get one and we didn't, please enjoy it. Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm just teasing you. Like uh, but Flora, again, thank you so much for your time and just sharing the the gold medal moments and um, and your journey. All of that's just been so special. Unbelievable. Thanks so much, Flora. It's been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you both for having me on. And it's been really nice to see you two and the kids at Scott Carpenter nearly every day. Um, I know. Yeah. It's been, yeah. Really nice. <laughs> Are you going to be back after Edmonton or are you heading off to Bermuda right away? Or Because we're thinking of having a big party here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, I'm coming back to Boulder after Edmonton and mm-hmm. then I'll um, only be going to Bermuda about a week before the race in Bermuda. Gotcha. Yeah, because I potentially might race. Well, I'm on the down to race 70.3 Worlds as well. So. Oh, okay. You still got a bit to do. Can yeah. I add one note, one note off coming off a high of a race and going into having to race more and more, which mm. I know you've done this many times, but tell me if you agree that you forget how much it hurts. <laughs> and that's why sometimes it's harder to race after a big, a big race. You know, I think when you, when you finish a race on a high and you feel amazing, you go into the next race and you think you're going to feel amazing the whole time. And you're like, oh, that's right. It hurts every single time. Yes. You know, I don't know if you experienced that or not, but <laughs> Greg and I have been through that in the past and I think that's the difference. But anyway. Yes, I could definitely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a parting note. That's a parting note. <laughs> yeah. thank, you, thank you, Laura, for the parting note. <laughs> and uh, this was really fun. And um, everybody, yeah. thank you all for listening um, and sharing the show and all your feedback. And, and you can find all the show notes, timestamps and links and coupon codes at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks again, Flora. Stay on the line. Fantastic. 
Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.